0: Hello everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about true people's liberation movements and revolution. I am your host, Josh. I use she, her pronouns, and I am super glad to have you here with me. Um, So today we are going to be discussing a commonly heard term and phrase. Um, I wanted to do an introduction episode on this, similar to the ones that I've done on capitalism and on imperialism that are a bit shorter. However, when I tried to do it earlier this morning... I did feel as if they're really deserved to be much more breakdown, much more of an analysis. So what we're going to do is we're going to do this episode. It's going to be probably about an hour. And then hopefully coming up soon, I'm going to have two intro clips episodes, so like 15 minutes or less, uh, on racism, and on, um, uh, on what we're going to talk about today, which is democracy. So I think the best place to start would, of course, be defining the term, and then talking about the term historically. So the term as we understand it today finds its root origin in the ancient Greek. So democracy, the actual word, has demos or demotic as its root meaning common people or of and by the people and then it has kratos k-r-a-t-o-s or Krassi c-r-a-c-y as its ending kratos meaning rule or strength And crassy denoting a type of government or form of authority. So, this is the word that we are taught today. Represents the so-called free world. Oftentimes meaning the capitalist world. Oftentimes... Mainly meaning nations of what we call the First World or the Global North, but sometimes speaking also about the vassal or puppet states or neo colonial states that observe the form or idea of democracy that is taught to us and is given an example by the U.S. and European nations. So, let's go into history. First and foremost, we must discuss indigenous history because oftentimes it gets left out of the question of basically everything we're talking about indigenous history is not perfect like all of human history it varies it is not linear it has differing degrees of uh, values such as equality, justice freedom many of these nations and many of these nations still today found their origin and their existence or survival through the action and relation of kinship. Now, I'm not indigenous, so I can't pretend to understand or truly explain this history or this relationality, but something I have been able to learn from the Red Nation, from Bands of Turtle Island, and from plenty of other indigenous scholars, indigenous uh, authors, um, about how the, especially I I can speak to, because I have more awareness of the history of the indigenous peoples of the Americas, but consequently we can understand that the history of the indigenous Americas was somewhat similar to, albeit different for the conditions and environments that were different, to the indigenous history of Africa and of Asia. So in varying degrees, again, these indigenous communities, nations, people groups had to observe a certain type of equity and cooperation that is commonly termed early communalism because of a few different reasons. First of all, as I visited in previous episodes, we have to understand that this is a time of natural history where nature would have posed a very great threat to human beings and all human species because of course we know that Homo sapiens are not the, or Homo sapiens are not the only human beings or human-like beings that had evolved. Uh, we also know many stronger, many larger, many more dangerous uh, animals, creatures, plants, uh, natural things. Right? Have come and gone in the time. That human beings have been around. The only thing that allowed for human beings to survive as long as we have has always been some form of cooperation. In the early indigenous history, this was a voluntary cooperation because things like the state, a military apparatus, the prison industrial complex, laws in the way that we understand them today, had not advanced and concretized to the extent that they have today. If someone were to say, disagree with or not want to participate with this society, there were ways that they did leave this society. And there were ways in which they even tried to take advantage of others within these societies. But the difference was that there was a cultural and a relational existence that, again, would have necessitated cooperation and seen that this type of exploitation of human by human was not only far less encouraged and far less enticing, but also would have been far easier to isolate and root out had it been advancing or developing within an indigenous community. The second thing that's important to understand is the way in which trade Or intercommunal relations and exchange, even of things like ideas, were continental-wide. From the tip of the southernmost point in South America to even northern more, more northern points than exist today... Because of climate change, the rise in water levels, the melting of ice caps, the shift of land masses, etc. And again, it wasn't all pretty or perfect. There was war, there was conflict, there was exploitation, there was religious extremism, there were empires that developed and fell. But yet, the majority of people, right, couldn't have or wouldn't have had any material interest in this type of society and an exploitative one because ultimately it would have isolated them from the general public and it also would have broke a historic and cultural uh, persona practice that would have required say much more than one individual or a few individuals if at a point in society people didn't have money or people had ways to escape enslavement or wage labor you think corporations and businesses would or even entrepreneurs and startups would have any basis or interest to the people who belong to a society like this? So lastly, we also have to understand that indigenous nations, because of their need to survive, developed a certain type of real democracy that we can speak to and learn from today that does exist in some communities, in some areas around the world, especially in places like Bolivia... In indigenous nations around the world. Um, And something to give an example to this might be, you know, the way in which feuds or even leadership was resolved. So leadership roles often fell to older, more experienced, more relatable and more popular individuals within society, not simply because of their, quote, popularity, unquote, but because, first of all, that popularity or that not no know, knowing of that person would have come from their actual activity in society. It wouldn't have come from advertisements. It wouldn't have come from... Uh, super PACs, it would have come from an actual person who was participating in society in a way that made people interested in them. And secondly, people would have been put in that position who could accomplish the goals and tasks set out for the role and responsibility that they were taking on. If and when someone no longer fit that role, there were many more ways than there are now to democratically recall that person and introduce a new person even in the middle of say someone's term although it probably wouldn't have been referred to as that um, because of a sickness or because of a general disagreement with their actions among the public or because someone else has more experience know-how or ability to accomplish the role that they had uh, previously been in, in, you know, responsible for. So this is the indigenous history that we must know and understand. Uh, the second example, right, of feuds. Um, again, I'm not a, an indigenous historian, but from what I understand, oftentimes those who were harmed, right, and the families of those harmed, say in a murder or in a rape, Would have been the main speakers and deciders for what would be done. And there were many ways in which even some of the most extreme crimes were resolved within a community that didn't lead to a prison industrial complex, that didn't lead to mass enslavement, that didn't lead to genocide. That didn't lead to firing squads and torture devices. So, this is the history which we want to know about, but which we do not receive in our history classes or in our textbooks or in the popular mainstream understanding of democracy. Now, let us talk about what we are forced into believing is the origin of civilization European history so Europe right is a very old civilization it has come and looked gone and reformed itself into many different things um, Greece and Rome Two of the early civilizations, which we are told are essentially the beginning of the world, were actually periods of reaction to a previous, previously existing society. So without getting too much into, again, history I don't know much about, there were groups within what we now know as West Asia or, quote, the Middle East, unquote, who had societies based on debt forgiveness, societies based on redistribution of land, so as to not allow an oligarchy or an aristocracy to develop, right? There were Hebrew, Assyrian, uh judean and other societies that again to varying degrees had laws or practices put in place that would implement social reorganization and political restructuring intentionally so as to work out the contradictions that would have led to a much more severe class separation than existed at the time The Greek and Roman empires wanted nothing to do with this. Of course, we know that there were some philosophers, some figures, some leaders who might not have been the most extreme or the most oppressive. But Rome and Greece were empires. Meaning a couple things. First of all, That they were imperialistic and colonial by nature. That Greece and Rome, unlike the indigenous nations, sought their existence through the theft, capture of land, and enslavement and exploitation of other nations. We know that Rome and Greece were what we call slave-owning societies. But what does this mean? It means, similarly today, how we are a capitalist society. How all of our things, all of our goods, our food, our houses, our clothes, our cars, all is produced in a capitalist relation, in a capitalist mode of production, where labor is divided and socialized. So that one good or one commodity is not produced by one person and when that commodity or finished product is produced it is not owned thereby by the individuals or groups of people whose labor went into producing it similarly in slave owning societies it would have been the enslaved who oftentimes were prisoners of war, women, uh, people who were not military or political uh, fits for the society. Uh, Different forms of ethnic and religious tensions and conflicts led to particular oppression, segregation, and enslavement. certain groups over others while at the same time this society is supposedly becoming and developing democracy how is this true? how are both of these things historically accurate at the same time? can they be? we know that In a slave owning society, only the slave owners control politics, religion, the economy, the mode of production, and society at large. We know that in a slave owning society, slaves are not granted workers' rights, they are not granted social rights, they are not granted economic rights, they are not granted any sort of control over their selves, over their lives, over their labor. And at this point in history, there were individuals like Plato and Aristotle Supposedly the founding fathers of freedom and democracy, liberty and justice Who spoke clearly and explicitly against any notion That the majority of people should participate or or hold political power They felt that democracy, as they understood it Was a system wherein the most educated oftentimes the most powerful, most wealthy, and most in control already in society, would be granted leadership over the different political, social, and economic uh, factors of society over and above the will, interest, or needs of the majority because according to them, the majority of people we were so stupid, so incapable of thought, so incapable of change, that it would be a failure to even attempt to build a majoritarian democratic system. This was the Greek and Romans' ideas of democracy. So, what is... Democracy, in this case, other than dictatorship by a few over the majority by different terms, described by different words. An example might be clear if we jump to history again and ask ourselves where does democracy come from? Where does democracy happen? How does control and change, production and reproduction of society get planned or dictated and decided? Where does this happen? So we have to ask ourselves, if we're asking this question, these questions... How society shifted from one that was known as and structured as an early communalistic society into one of slave ownership, of capitalism, of exploitation, of racism, etc. To understand this, we have to understand what is the state. So the state, right, can be described in a couple different ways. And when I say the state, I'm meaning the state with a capital S. What we commonly describe as the government or the powers that be, the almighty, the man, that is the state, not New York state, not Massachusetts Not, you know, the state capital, not the statewide government administration, though they are a part of the state. The state is an apparatus, it's a tool, it's a mechanism, which developed and advanced over time, which has been used historically by the groups intending to control, exploit, and oppress the majority of society or in socialist societies or national liberation struggles, the minority, to put down their interests, their practices, their ideas, as well as their association, their organization, their ability to arm themselves, and their struggles. When the state first began to develop it was at a point in time where something that we now know very well was also beginning to develop that is private property private property was not always a thing it was not always something that one understood that someone could own land that someone could look at a hill or a field of grass or a wooded area and say, this is mine. I own this. There was not always a thing, especially private individual ownership. Even in indigenous cultures, indigenous nations didn't necessarily own the land. Because many, due to different reasons, were not actually rigidly stable on one, you know, radius or circumference. Sorry, that's the wrong description for that. Radius or diameter of landmass or square footage. Some were nomadic. Many were kicked out by colonialism. So we have to understand that, in fact, what indigenous nations and cultures had with the land was a relationship. They tended to the land. They took care of the land. And through this, through their tending to and use of the land, the land tended and took care of them. So it must be understood that private property... Not only ownership of land and things, but of people, was a historic development, which required certain kinds of protections. Again, if someone wanted, during an early communal period of history, to start a manufacturing company and try to monopolize wood or salt... Or rice it would be pretty hard because most people wouldn't want that so most people wouldn't either buy from participate in work for or relate to the individual or group of individuals that might pursue this however as land ownership the creation of tools the domestication of animals and of agriculture came a certain ownership over these uh, f- you know, factors of life by the patriarchy. Early communalistic societies were matriarchal. It makes much more sense. You can trace your lineage so much easier through that person who gave birth to you then you can through the person that may or may not have uh, helped to conceive you as a child. So, especially in societies where polyamory or open relations were much more common, it would have been almost impossible to say, you're my father, right? And so, at this point, it was women and non-men because we have to understand that other types of gender identities were much more common in indigenous nations and cultures around the world than they are in Europe or are in the offshoots of European colonialism. But because of this, they didn't take up the roles, say, of farm laborer, or agricultural worker. They didn't take up uh, military roles. They wouldn't have taken up, you know, the creation of tools, blacksmithing. uh, It would have been more common that women and non-men actually played political roles and social leadership roles within society. It would have been far more common for... Women and non men to be advisors, to be seen as uh, wise and um, conscious, and also they would have played a sizable role, of course, in the reproduction of society. Um, the way which reproductive justice, caretaking, child care, education, etc. as well as socialization would have looked completely different. It would have been much more social and communal but it also would have been led by even as it is today but with actual respect and uh, responsibility to women and non-men who were therein because of these actions and practices, given a certain um, heightened role and responsibility as well as value in society in these sectors of life. But when it came to the domestication of animals, of tools, of war, that was not always historically the role that women and non-men would have played. And this is where we trace the origin and the material foundation of what we now know as the patriarchy. So anyways, getting to my point, these groups, men particularly, and non-women, would have owned the majority of private property. But they still would not have necessarily um, constituted a majority in society. And so they required a certain type of extreme, a certain type of institution that was strong enough to not only protect their own interests, but in the same way to make sure that the general interests of the population and the common interests and needs of the people were put down, that their struggles were oppressed, that their ideas were mystified and confused, obfuscated, that they were kept ignorant. And so things like religion and law and the Enlightenment movement, philosophy, all came along with economics and politics to defend the right of the private property owners to the ownership of their private property. This is because in a capitalist system... Of course, we no longer create commodities for the purpose of use. We create and overproduce commodities for the sake of exchange, for profit. And those of us who actually produce these commodities do not get to own and sell these commodities, but instead are paid a wage out of the total profit made from these commodities, which is a minimal amount of money meant to only keep us alive for a minimal period of time to allow us to make it to the next point in which we will sell what we call our labor power. Our labor power is our cognitive, physical, and other ability to take nature and turn it into a thing, either for use, whether that use is necessary, Or socially created. For example, iPhones are a socially created use or need, whereas food is a quite understandably so necessity. And yet, what is it that is produced more in our society? And what is it that is distributed and sold more to the actual producers in society and the workers? And the unemployed, it's iPhones, not food. In a capitalist system, because of this, the actual reason why things are produced changes. Meaning that now, rather than being able to go into the woods or go and actually create a thing from your own uh, resources and labor that you require or that society requires, you now either create that thing and have to give it to your owner or your boss for them to sell it back to you, or you have to find a way to purchase these things from those who are producing it through a wage which, again, is as minimal as is possible, that is a scientifically approached and understood question. It's not a guess. The minimum wage and a wage type of labor situation in general is one that is scientifically conscripted and developed to keep workers poor. So, as private property develops, as the patriarchy develops... As religion, philosophy, economists, and others come in to defend the rights of private property. This is because in a capitalist system, if you want to own private property, if you want to be able to sell it and make a profit, you have to also respect and protect the right of other private property owners to their private property. So the law, the religion the political structure, society, economics, the whole of the way that people and humanity is produced and reproduced was set up to defend and protect those few individuals who are able to own a majority of the land, resources, factories, warehouses, transportation companies, um, labor forces, buildings, houses, etc. Some of the largest landowners in the world being the Catholic Church, the U.S. Empire, Bill Gates, as well as others who monopolize, exploit, and hoard What should be the property of society and humanity at large. Since we are the ones and the majority of people are the ones who produce it. Not the capitalists, not the CEOs, not the board of directors, not the consultants, not the folks on Wall Street, not the bankers, none of them. It is the workers, it is the working class, oppressed people, unemployed, jobless, houseless, drug addicted, uh, alcoholic, uh, poor, hungry, tired, you know, people who are forced to produce these things or die. That is democracy under capitalism and under a capitalist mode of production. I know some of this might seem a bit convoluted, but really the reason why this is important is because we couldn't have the type of democracy or the so-called democracy that we have now if it wasn't for the mode of production and the... Production and reproduction of society, and how this forms the other parts of the whole when it comes to human history. It isn't ideas that make change. Ideas certainly have a role but it is consciousness and in fact conscious action and material conditions which lead to consciousness and conscious action that actually makes material change. When it comes to the state it is an organized bureaucracy of different shapes and forms depending on the particular conditions or nations that it develops in. The government of the United States looks different than the government of Canada or of France. ...or of the United Kingdom... ...but yet these are all considered supposedly democratic systems... ...against and above socialist systems... ...or national liberation struggles... ...or what we might call non-aligned systems... The capitalist system sees all of these as threats. And like the state during early matriarchal communalism, which organized against and above the interests of the majority and historical social production and reproduction, and won out and developed the patriarchy. Similarly, the slave-owning societies were able to, for a period of time, oppress and subjugate the masses and majority of people through conquest, through religious extremism, and through outright enslavement. And by other means as well, ideological and physical, which led to the development of slave societies. On the flip side, however, we also know, historically speaking, that in both these cases and today, there have been struggles against the development of this state or of these different forms of social production and reproduction. So why is it that the minority is able to win out over the majority? Well, the state is another thing. The state is also the monopoly of violence. We know, for example, in the United States, we have the militarized police forces growing ever stronger and larger, both in budget and in number, as well as in materiel. We have the military, of which there are now six branches. The Navy, the Marines, the Army, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, and now the Space Force. We also have the National Guard. Each state also has its own. Militia groups and military groups, whether they are still formally recognized as a part of that, you know, uh, territory, or if they are more so becoming independent, paramilitary groups. We also know there's a lot of paramilitary groups. We know there's a lot of security forces. We know there's a lot of intelligence agencies naming, you know, the few three-letter ones we know about wouldn't even scratch the surface. We know there have been operations, practices, and activities by groups, by the USAID, the National Endowment for Democracy, the as well as the Center of or for Political Freedom, the different nonprofit and non-governmental groups, the covert groups, the media groups, the religious groups, missionaries, etc. Some of whom may not carry arms, but who violently oppress the people by many other means. It is this extreme violence and the monopoly by the state By the minority, by the ruling class, by the oppressors, by the slave owners, by the capitalists, the corporations, the bankers, the militaries, the police. Their commitment to massacre, to incarceration, to hunger and houselessness, for the majority of people around the world, not simply here in the United States, but nearly three and a half billion people around the world who have no job, who have no home, who have no idea where their next meal will come from. That is who less than 10,000 individuals control. That is the state and it is kept up through violence. Violence is the means by which one group puts their interests, their needs, and their ideas above others. It is violence which has led to the creation of so-called democracy. It is violence around the world and domestically, which has led to the creation of these so-called democratic states. Let us give an example of a few to ask ourselves if we truly feel that this type of democracy suits our interests or holds up. To its own ideal at all. So, some examples I felt might be perfect for this are South Korea, Japan, Germany, the UK, France, Italy, Wales, Ireland. Scotland, Poland, Hungary, Austria, Australia, the Balkans, Colombia, Peru, South Africa, and including here also colonial or neo-colonial formations, which portray themselves as either representing or working towards the general goals of the masses. But whether or not they happen to be African, Asian, Latino, Caribbean, what have you, a woman, trans, gay, they can still exploit and they still do And these systems where even the skin tone or gender or national or ethnic identity or religion of a mass of people is taken advantage of, is exploited, and is used to exploit further the masses of people. Yet to us, these nations are described as democracies, as democratic states, as free states, as human rights watchers, as friends of the US and of the free people of the world. This could not be more of a joke, of a lie, of an absolute ahistorical, inaccurate, ignorant, false, hypocrisy, mystification, obfuscation, and intentional miseducation so as to confuse the masses of people about what their interests truly are and how to truly acquire them. So let us go through some of these examples of so-called democratic states. And let me add two more here. Taiwan and Ukraine. Now, these two come with apostrophes next to their names because, of course, we know that neither one of these nations has any intention or ability to truly build a democratic system. In fact, the leadership both in Ukraine and the Kuomintang nationalist leadership still surviving and the supposed opposition... Still creating a similarly exploitative and oppressive system. Taiwan and Ukraine, without reorganization, in Taiwan's case, back into China, connected to what was once an entire mainland that was split up and divided first by British colonialism then by Japanese imperialism, then by U.S. imperialism, and so far and so forth. In Ukraine's case, Ukraine similarly belonged to and was a part of the former Soviet Union. Prior to this, it belonged to and was a part of the Russian imperial uh, empire. Prior to this... It was a part of a general amalgamation of Russian, Belorussian, Ukrainian, Uzbek, Turkestan, or Turk, um, and plenty of other national and ethnic groups, all of whom, again, similarly to other nations uh, prior to colonialism, would have had wars among each other, would have had trade among each other, would have had relations, as they often did and still do today. Someone I know, actually, that I worked with previously, who came from Belarusia and is currently living in the States, spoke about how his family is essentially all over the former Soviet Union. Because during the period... Of the Soviet existence travel within the Soviet Union was far easier, far cheaper and far more accessible to the majority than it is even today and so because of this we have to understand that these two nations so called um, you know uh, pro-democracy nations where oppositional governments exist to, instead of working towards the common objectives of the majority of people, to instead work towards developing relationships and benefits from the empires and imperialists around the world through the subjugation, exploitation, and mass enslavement of their own people groups this is democracy right again this is what we see this is what happens we're not talking about some ideal we're not spending a time philosophizing here what we're talking about is the real material conditions and how so-called democratic nations exist let us pull two other examples south korea Japan. South Korea and Japan have been friends of the United States since about the same time near the end of World War II into the 1950s. Of course there were many portions of both nations who had no interest in forming relations with the United States. But it was the neo-colonial rulers, the compradors, what we call the petty bourgeoisie, the business owners, the uh, wealthy, the landowners, the political figures, the police, the generals, etc., as well as the intelligentsia, who have a vested interest in preserving this type of society, these types of relations, so as to continue extracting wealth, resources. Property and benefits from the exploitation of the majority of people around the world. In South Korea and in Japan, we see a very undemocratic society. If we look at workers' rights, we see that the average working week in both South Korea and Japan is well over 60 hours a week. We see that the average living standard is not much higher in some cases than the average third world or developing nations living standard. In the cases where certain privileges or opportunities, commodities or consumer goods that wouldn't normally be available in these third world countries are available It only exists to extract a further amount of the wealth from the population, not to benefit them. In South Korea and in Japan, the rights of women, the rights of children, the rights of the LGBTQIA community is abysmal. Also, we know that in both these countries, they have a government structure and political system, which is not set up for... Democratic means of mass participation, direct involvement, planning in production or reproduction of society, but at most have corrupt elections. And I say corrupt elections because elections under a capitalist system are always corrupt. If in the United States, even to run for an average mayoral position, you need anywhere between $1 to $5 million in capital, this is not a free and fair electoral system. If in the United States, to become president, you have to have not only the backing of the billionaire class, those who can buy super PACs, but you also have to have a connection to and a relationship that is positive with the military-industrial complex, with the covert agencies and intelligence groups, and with other ruling class apparatuses like the banks, the corporations, etc. One cannot be president of the United States and have none of this. That is why someone like Trump, was able to be elected into office because someone like Trump actually is not too much different than any other president that we've had. George Washington, when he became the first president of the United States, was the wealthiest person in the world. He was the largest landowner in the United States. And the way that he was able to acquire both that land and that wealth, as well as eventually his political and military power actually came from what his job, where he gained his income from, was, which was land surveying. So think about that. The first president of the so-called free, uh, liberal, democratic United States of America was a capitalist who owned the majority of the known arable land, and if he did not directly own it, because of his sizable land ownership, he had relations or familiarity with those who did own it, which allowed for him to gain the political power and social capital that he did. Similarly with folks like Thomas Jefferson... It was not his political prowess, his experience, nor his expertise that got Jefferson into office. It was his capital, and it was his relation to capital. Lastly, I want to say that on this point, when early democracy in England... France, Italy, and other places around the world are being developed in Europe. In the places outside of Europe and even the communities within Europe such as the Roma, the Jewish, the Assyrians, the Muslims, etc. There was no democracy for those who were considered colonial subjects, slaves, less than human, non-nationals, dirty, Muslim hordes, these terms, these ideas, these concepts, all came through a system, a class system, that had already been in place, that had already materialized, It was not these ideas that led to its materialization. So it was the extreme forms of violence and oppression against different nomadic peoples or Jewish and Roma peoples in Europe, Muslims and other religious groups outside of Europe, as well as... The peoples of the Americas, Africa, and Asia who were to suffer and die, labor and starve, produce but not own, produce but not consume, produce but have no power. This was the introduction to the majority of the world to the idea of european democracy the state developed in europe in a particular way through its many struggles internally and eventually externally to incorporate and develop any and all tools Apparatuses, mechanisms, or approaches that it required to stay in power. That is why the state today looks so different in so many different places, in so many different periods of time. Because different class struggles, different fights for freedom, for national liberation, for an end to oligarchy or oppression, led to the state's necessity to develop new forms of oppression. One example might be the early creation of the prison system in the United States. During colonialism, it was common to use capital punishment, torture, and murder to resolve issues either legally, within the military, or politically. But eventually, the colonists realized that if they kept killing and, in, you know, torturing, beating and abusing, or di- dismembering other cohorts from the colonial empires they would soon become outnumbered. They also realized that genocidal tactics and massacre do not allow for the development of a labor force. They do not allow for the development of an actual system where if the people are to be enslaved if the people are to be oppressed, if the people are to be taken advantage of, well, they have to be alive. You cannot kill your entire labor force. You cannot kill the entire population you're trying to exploit. So very quickly the so-called forefathers of democracy and freedom and liberty came to a crux. <coughs> <coughs> they realized that <coughs> even against their own interest, some of them who did have a ferocity and fervor committed to wiping entire populations from the face of the earth because of this and because of the realization that came from this practice there was even internal struggle within the ruling classes and within the state so again the state has to develop new forms to deal with these problems new tools new approaches if it can't massacre everyone and, and it can't just white people who don't follow suit or who they see as non-human from the face of the earth because multiple reasons uh, not least of which of course it depletes a sizable amount of the empire's resources to do so if this is the case well that now the group of people who got into power by doing that by murdering people by enslaving people now have to figure out a way to do exactly that but to a controlled level where not only can they stay in power but they can advance they can develop larger they can grow And hoard more sizable dens of resources and of wealth. They can exploit the people further. They can take more of their labor power, more of their wages, more of their political power. So as to create a system which benefits not the majority of people, but in fact, a extremely, if it weren't to be historically important, insignificant number of minority individuals who own billions, who control billions, not dollars, people might not be on a fucking deed or written down but we all go to work and you know labor because of these motherfuckers so bringing us back to the question of what is democracy talking about these nations like South Korea, Japan, etc we also have to bring up the UK and Germany as well as France and Italy so the UK where do you even start? You have the wars with the Irish, with the Welsh, with the Scots. You have the wars between Catholics and Protestants. You have the wars between Christians and non Christians. You have the uh, extermination and exiling of masses of Jewish and Roma people. You have the destruction of nomadic, agricultural, communal, living standards and societies. You destroy and see destroyed historically any and all opportunity for something different to develop within this context. Because this context, you know, the one which the UK was the first and largest imperial power in the world and also see, you know, sees its origins in the Greek and Roman empires and had naval, you know, uh, blockades and military bases all over the world, murdered and genocided Indian people from India, Uh, the Indigenous Africans and Asians throughout not only uh, you know East Asia but also West Asia. It oppressed and exploited others within Europe, and it developed into a monopoly and a capitalist power uh, first before many, if not all, other capitalist nations began to develop. Of course, we know that the UK enslaved and colonized Ireland, the Welsh, and the Scots, and still does to this day. Um, we know that the British were some of the original arbiters of mercantilism, of Christianity and Catholicism, of patriarchy, of, uh, nuclear families and gender roles of Protestant labor practices, right? Think about that, the Protestant work ethic. Hmm. And also, these were some of the groups, of course, which led the charge in actively taking on a objective to seek out and steal as much wealth, land, and labor power from the rest of the world as they could. France, similarly, has been a colonial power for a while. Now, France's development looks different to the UK, but France also has had much involvement in East Asia, as well as North Africa and West Africa. France still has a portion of Africa named the Francophone-speaking African nations. Um, These are nations that speak French as their first tongue. African nations that speak French as their first tongue. France also has, similarly to some of the Enlightenment figures from Great Britain... A certain philosophical appeal or ideal towards freedom, liberty, justice, the pursuit of happiness. But all of this, of course, similarly to the early developments of the state, to the British imperial empire, were all freedoms, ideas, principles, or rights for the owners of private property. Everyone else, for the most part, was not even considered human beings. Africans, Caribbeans, indigenous peoples of of the Americas, uh, Asian folks, were not considered human beings. Do you get that? The forms of slavery that came from England... France and other European nations had to have their own term made up, chattel slavery, which unlike the slavery which had existed for centuries, dating back to the early ancient Greek and Roman societies, did not even get to the level of degradation and dehumiliation Exploitation and violence That what we know as slavery here In the domestic colonies of the U.S. Actually existed as Chattel slavery means The enslaved are chattel They are tools They are items They are like cattle Or a saw a table, or a pulley. They are simply a machine and mechanism for production. When they die or break down or can't labor, similarly to the tablet or scan gun or employee who cannot produce or work the way that the employer insists they do, They are recycled, thrown away, tossed aside, and forgotten about. Because they, even in a capitalist society, those of us who do not own private property, who do not own capital, but who can only feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, transport ourselves, and house ourselves off of the sale of our own mental and physical faculties, motor skills, and labor force, and then the use of the wage we are paid for this to purchase things at a marked-up, price-hiked, profiteering price, so as to make sure not only to pay for more to be produced for the machines and the factories to stay up, for the wages of the employees to be paid, and the fines and litigation of the businesses and corporations, but also the CEOs and board of directors, annual income, travel expenses, bonuses, holiday parties, and mistakes. That is what we pay for when we go to the store That is what we pay for. It is not the cost of the item, nor the cost of the item and the cost of labor. It's the cost of all of this which factors into the profiteering price rate that the capitalists and monopolists are able to gouge out of the masses' wallets and hands and pocketbooks. We know that democracy in places like Italy or Germany had a little turn for the worse, shall we say. Of course, after World War I, the development of what we now know as fascism began to consolidate itself in the countryside of Italy among war veterans who felt that their government no longer met the uh, militaristic or imperialistic goals or even personal capitalistic goals and uh, consumer interests of these war veterans and of these military folks uh, who then began to train and organize themselves to take over the government, to take over the state, to seize political power. And once they did, and once the same thing happened in Germany, in Spain, in Portugal, In other places, once this consolidated power had come to the fore, it used it to eliminate any and all workers' rights, any and all social rights, any and all religious equality, any and all freedoms of speech, of press of association, of organization. It eliminated any and all opportunities for the majority of people to participate in or directly plan production and reproduction of society through the state or other means. And it also took the police and the military forces, as well as the paramilitary groups like the fascist militias, and used their arms and weaponry their expertise and military strategy, not to overthrow an imperialist capitalist nation, not to overthrow a backward nation state and create an equitable, peaceful, cooperative society, but instead to dominate and dictate in a society which would be built to benefit the corporations, the imperialists, the bankers, the monopolists, and anyone on their payroll. In places like Poland or Hungary and Austria, similarly, after World War II, there were Different Soviet installations, popular power, leftist, social democratic, socialist, and even communist parties, which were either in power, popular in elections or on the work floor, uh, were organizing among the homeless, among the country people, among the women who actually existed and posed as a great threat to the imperialists in Europe and in North America. And so the so-called democratic nations funded, armed, trained, taught, transported, introduced, and supported and encouraged the overthrow of socialist social democrat, liberal, and otherwise democratically elected governments, or reinstalled fascist dictatorships because of compromises that European empires, and especially the United States, brokered with the Nazis and the fascists of the world. That is why police chiefs, that is why mayors, governors, generals who previously had led during the fascist eras of these nations or during the Nazi-occupied eras of these nations would come back into power after the 50s, 60s, and 70s. If we look at Poland or Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Slovenia, Lithuania, Romania, any of these Eastern European nations that were formerly either a part of the Soviet Union or had strong ties with the Soviet nations, which allowed for their own national liberation struggles Socialist or communist parties To develop This was only possible because of the strength And the ability to defend against violence Which the communists and socialists of the world The nationalists and national liberation struggles of the world Posed This was the defense that they could put up and when it was no longer possible, the fascists were resurrected and put up into power, called Democrats, called Democratic administrations, by the so-called Democratic Free Nation of the World, the U.S. Imperial Empire, in order to, yet again, take away political, social, economic religious and other freedoms, rights, and power from the masses of people who once either held it or were struggling to seize it. This was done covertly. This was done overtly. This was done through operations like Gladio or like Paperclip. This was done through coups in Iran, Guatemala, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh... As well as in newer nations today, like Ukraine, and attempted coups in nations like Hong Kong, Taiwan, Tibet, Nicaragua, Cuba, Venezuela, and others. This was done through bombs, through fire, through napalm. Through chemical warfare... And biological warfare... This was done through... Dismembering of bodies... Like Patrice Lumumba's... This was done through... The massacre... Of 30,000... In El Salvador... This was done through... The continued genocide... Of black, brown, and indigenous people... Which the spirit of Mandela and the International Tribunal on the Human Rights of Black, Brown, and Indigenous People found the United States government and its collaborators guilty of in an international tribunal in October of 2021. Democracy in nations like the ones which we are told the U.S. is fighting for Or that we should be fighting for Is a democracy which the state has created For itself Let us ask ourselves Who does this democratic system represent? Is it democratic for anyone? Is it representative for anyone? Is it equal for anyone? Well, certainly we can pick one group, or shall I say one class of people that this so-called democracy represents, works for, and is able to be used equally by. And that is the capitalist class. That is the bourgeois, ruling, owning, enslaving, corporate, banking Class. It is the military officials, it is the intelligence agencies, it is the nonprofit and non-governmental organizations used as intelligence agencies once were 25 years ago. Side note: Please look up the most recent uh, piece on popular resistance coming from the folks over at the Gray Zone where they did an interview with Vice President of the National Endowment for Democracy and asked her quite pointed questions about what policies or procedures are in place to ensure that grants do not go to groups or media institutions that are advocating or justifying violence against people, nor... Uh, was she able to answer any and all questions about what is done if and when grants are given to a group which then begins to justify, uh, uh, call for or corroborate towards violent acts, whether they be coups or mass murders, uh, what have you, um, She also similarly could not say what sort of policies and procedures were in place to revoke or rescind funds from groups that, like, for example, in Nicaragua in 2018, the uh, protesters who killed over 200 people um, continued to receive funds from the National Endowment for Democracy, even when they posted these torturous and murderous acts on social media. I feel I've covered my point well enough, and this episode has gone on long enough, so I want to just finish by saying that a couple things are true. One, there are people that this system represents, but that just simply means that democracy under a capitalist system is not democracy for the people, but is in fact a name given to a tool of dictatorship, which is controlled by the ruling class of this country and of the international ruling class around the world. Democracy, elections, especially bourgeois elections, where only wealthy, powerful people are able to be elected and where the majority of people ultimately have no say or no ability to participate in uh, elections outside of casting a vote. Of which many, even in the United States, do not have this right. Um, We know that democracy, again, is in fact a system whereby a minority of the population is able to control and dictate the uh, production and reproduction of society over the interests of the majority. This is clear in every single European nation that has ever existed. This is clear in the Americas where capitalism, colonialism, and neo-colonialism have been enshrined. This is clear in Africa and in Asia where the resources, labor power, uh, civil society groups, political parties, media enterprises, educational facilities, and other materials are all monopolized owned and controlled by a wealthy, extremely small, minute amount of capitalists and bankers, military officials, and intelligence agents, former or not, because as we know, you can never truly be a former spy, a former CIA agent, a former intelligence operative. You will always, always, always be a part of the system. And so lastly, I want to say a very famous quote, which I think will sum up quite well and put a period on what I feel has been a pretty productive and I hope helpful episode for folks who are still caught up on this idea of democracy for folks who are still caught up on this idea of participating in bourgeois elections not as a tactic or a tool to build consciousness or mass political power, but instead as an end and as a long-term goal or objective to simply get elected. This is why so many within the housing movement, within the union movement, within the feminist movement, within the socialist and communist parties, are all beginning to break away what has been the old guard, the old leadership, the old ideas, the old tactics, and the old strategies. Because under capitalism, freedom is as it always was under the ancient slave societies. Freedom for the slave owners. V I lenin all power to the people folks long live the revolution and revolutionary people long live people's democracy long live socialism and long live revolutionary consciousness peace